How's your weekend been? It's all right. You guys making some good decisions in 2020? Are you? <laughs> I guess we'll find out if that's a good decision, huh? Hey, welcome to Portico Church Arlington. My name's Jason. Um, we're going to be opening up today to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, looking at a very short verse there, as we open up on a new series. Um, I read this week in The Guardian, it's a, it's a British rag, and they were saying that, they were talking about you folk, well actually us folk, they were saying that people between 30 and 31 are miserable. Is that true? I mean, I'm just, just north of 31. But they're saying that people, that's kind of like a, a, a year of misery. And one of the reasons is, is because the decisions that you have made in your past and the decisions that you need to make in the future. And the idea was that, you know, you, you've tried to find fulfillment and identity and meaning in, in your job and your education. That didn't work out so well. Tried to find it in friends and in your apartment and in your city. And you're just kind of over it all. Not only that, you're looking around you and people are having babies and they're getting married and they're getting promoted. And you're kind of at this crux. And you just don't know how to deal with it. And so it just really makes you really frustrated and angry. And you kind of go through these, these phases of first passivity. Like, you know what? Forget it. Um, I'm just, I don't want to make a decision because I don't want to make the wrong decision. I'll just wait it out. I don't want to lock myself down in, into anything. And, and then you kind of swing over to perfectionism. It's like, you know what? I'm the captain of my own future, so I'm going to make this happen if I do it and do it well enough, I will be rewarded, rewarded and maybe even God will reward me. Uh, and then after that, you just kind of give up, right? You just kind of panic. So I'm asking you guys, is that where you're at? Does that happen? Is that real? Yeah, I think it's real. We are starting a new series today, not because of that article, but because I think we need it. Um, it's on decision making. It's very simple. Big decisions. How do we make decisions? Is it something that God gets into? Like, does God care about the decisions that I make? Um, do I have to run it by him? In fact, maybe I should wait and not make any decisions until I talk to him first. Like, how does that work? How do we make good decisions? So I have one simple goal for this series. It's a four-part series. It will take it all the way through January. And it's this, learning judgment. You can actually teach judgment. We can understand how to have discernment and judgment. So to learn good judgment and how to make good decisions. That's it. So it's going to be a little fast and furious. Uh, we'll be walking through a lot of different texts. Normally we don't do this. Um, we, we do a lot of expositional preaching where we just go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, or a part of the book of the Bible. We're committed to that. However, it is good for us so every so often to just break out and say, we want to study decisions making for a bit. And we're going to do that um, because scripture actually talks about it quite a bit. So that's where we're going. Um, we want stability. We want decisiveness. And, and I want you to be tired of self-doubt. I want you to be really tired of it um, because the way we make decisions usually ends up in regret. I usually doubt myself. I doubt whether I heard from God on it. I I doubt, 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 doubt. And, and life becomes very unfun. So 
we want to speak to that through this series. Now, here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to lay a base and a foundation. We're going to talk about things that we need to talk about before we even start making decisions. Um, so that, we don't, so that we're not more miserable, quite frankly. Now, the next two Sundays, we're going to actually walk through the process of how do we make a decision? You know, yeah, there's going to be a checklist. There'll probably be a Venn chart. It'll be that geeky. But I, I want you, like, we want to know that. And then we're going to end on the last Sunday in January with how do you make the big decisions? So let's just call it things like a vocation. How do you choose a career, a calling? How do you make decisions that are really, really big, that affect not just now, but your whole future. So we will walk through that together. So I'm excited about that. Um, I have <laughs> I've learned a lot just by making horrible mistakes. I just want to let you know that. I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life. I'm not proud of it. But it's something that um, I was very confused on as a young Christian. Um, how do I, how does this work? How does this work? So we're going to jump to that. So today, uh, I just want to tell you the big idea before we even get there. And this is counterintuitive. Um, before you worry about extraordinary decisions, I'm going to call those big decisions. Like, who do I marry? Do I even want to be married? Do I want to have kids? Do I want to have kids and then get married? Do I want to change my jobs? Do I want to move to Kansas City? Do I want to do this? Do I want to go to this church? Do I want to go back to my... Before you make these decisions, which are considered extraordinary or big life-changing decisions, you have to understand this. You need to excel in the ordinary. If you don't have a good base of ordinary decisions. In other words, it's the inane, mundane, ordinary decisions that build your life. They shape your life. If those aren't solid, then trying to build big decisions on top of those will end up collapsing. So excelling in the ordinary is what we want to do. So we're going to be in Corinthians. Let me just read this text. It's chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And then we'll use that as a jumping off point to understand what it means for you and I to excel in the ordinary. All right, here we go. And this is Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, writing to a church in Corinth. um, And they had issues. I'm just going to say that. Everybody, Have you ever heard anybody say, you know what, I, I don't really like, I'm not into organized religion? Well, there's nothing organized about the New Testament, A, and B. A lot of times we think if we could just go back to a first century church, you don't want that. Uh, we want to learn from them. So here we go. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Dear Heavenly Father, um, we come before you. It's a new year. You believe in redemption. You believe new things come out of death, out of old things. You are God who makes things out of nothing. So we hand ourselves to you. Would you consider us this morning as we open up your word? Would you, would you open up our minds and our hearts that we might hear with clarity and precision what the Spirit of God would say to us today and that we would have the courage to believe it and act on it. 
So we thank you, Lord, that you, you've put us here today. So would you bless this time that we have? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to excel in the ordinary. We're going to do that. We're going to explain that. So there's three phases I want to look at. First is ordinary problems. These are things that every one of us has a problem with. If not now, we will. Uh, Second kind of ties into that is ordinary obsessions. What are the things that we obsess on? Are they good or bad? And lastly, we'll get to what does it look like to excel in the ordinary? What does it look like to have, the Apostle Paul would say, to have ordinary maturity? How do we do that? How do we build life where we have ordinary maturity that we can actually build good decisions on? So let's jump in. Ordinary problem. Well, we have to understand a little bit about the Corinthian church if we're going to understand the depth of what the Apostle Paul says to them. Um, Corinth was a very international city, a lot of trade, a lot of money. Um, There's a lot of different cultures in that city. They were very wealthy, not unlike Washington, D.C. There was also a lot of things about Corinth that were not good at all. They had a very well-developed sex trade in this city, and that kind of bled over into the church. So this is where the church came out of um, as they heard the gospel, and the church was big. It seems vibrant, um, and they were really good at a few things. They appeared very externally mature. They looked really good. They knew how to pursue gifts. They were speaking in tongues. They were really, really wired for and pursuing things that were externally very, very impressive. But they had no idea how the gospel worked. They were, I mean, there was, there's incest in the church. There was sexual morality in the church. By the end of the letter, Paul has to teach them how to give step by step to other churches. There was no generosity. There was no love for one another. And right up front, there's division. They're like little kids. So they appear very mature externally, but they are acting like little kids. They are fighting. They are fighting over resources. They are not generous. They don't understand the cross. They have a, they, like he said, they're a baby in Christ. You, you've received the gospel but you're very immature in it. Uh, You don't have the basics. So just side note, that can be us. Regardless of how long we've considered ourselves a believer, we always have to ask ourselves, am I holding on to external appearances? And really there's not much under it. In other words, do I look good externally, but my life is a mess? That's not consistent with the gospel. I just want to tell you that. And Paul calls them out for it. Your life is a mess. Um, your relationships are a mess. Um, you have a hard time loving other people. Um, you just have a really hard time understanding how to live your life. So that's what's going on. Ordinary problem for them and us. Secondly, so that being the case, what's God's will for me? Wouldn't you like that? Would you like God to just sit down with you and give you like a, a, a binder that tells you what, how your life should go? Would you like that? Don't, don't lie. Yes, you would. And you would also like the freedom to say, hey, can we edit this little chapter right here? I don't think that's going to go so well. We want that. We want to understand God's will for us. So if we're going to excel in the ordinary, if we're going to understand how to make decisions, we have to understand some things about God's will. Now, I came to Christ as a teenager and really fumbled a lot. 
um, even as a young married. And I know the church in the 90s taught some really crazy things about finding God's will. So the first, we have to deconstruct that a little bit. What is God's will? So let me give you some categories for God's will. First is God's sovereign will. All right, this, these are churchy terms, but we'll unpack them. His decree. In other words, there's some things that God says will happen, whether we know them or not, and they're going to happen. They're not, um, there's no contingencies whatsoever. He decrees it, it's going to happen. One of my favorite verses that explains this phenomenon is uh, uh, Psalms 115.3. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. No creature can say that. I can't say that. I don't do all that I please. I don't have the ability. Neither can you. But God is not us. So he, he has a sovereign will. There's part of God's will which is going to happen. Period. It's sovereign. Um, I think we get that. I don't think that's too hard for us to understand. I think what's hard for us to understand is how that connects to, like, my will. So that's one part of God's will. Um, secondly is God's desire. Let's just go with the D's here. So his decree and his desire. Uh, this is not a wish. Let's call this his moral will. He desires things for us. He desires us to live our lives in alignment with his moral will. What do you mean? Ten Commandments, Right? Don't kill, don't murder, love. Well, could you sum that up for me? Sure, Jesus did that. Love God and love others. Let love lead your life. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. That, that, that is God's desire. That's his moral will. Let me jump into Hebrews here and just give us an example of what that might look like. Hebrews... Um, well, it's actually a benediction. We talked this last week, a different one, though. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So it's God's desire for you. God has a character, right? He has a personality that's built on holiness, and the Ten Commandments sum up that. All of God's law is built on his character. So let's call that his desire or his moral will. So his decree, things that he says will happen, that will happen. Um, his desire or his moral will. Um, now, here's, we got that? We tracking? Now, what about you? Does God have a detailed life plan for you? Anybody want to take a swing at that? It's a tricky question. Let me ask a question with a little more precision. Does God have a secret plan for your life in which it's your requirement to find out before you make a decision? Absolutely not. Let me free you for a minute. God does not have a secret will for your life wherein it's your job to go discover that will before you make big decisions. It's nowhere in the Bible. We're making that up. It feels safe. It feels like it takes some responsibility and some risk out of my life. And it's not wrong to want to do God's will. But we can walk so easily into the weeds when we have been taught or we believe or we want to believe that God has some perfect will for my life. And that if I do not make decisions based on his perfect will for my life, then I'm somehow in his permissive will and things are going to go sideways until I get back into it. This changes us. We don't want to marry anybody. We don't want to take a new job. It causes passivity. Or then we swing over to perfectionism. Or then we just panic. 
So let me, we're going to talk more about this as we get into making the decisions. But when I learned this as a younger Christian, it just blew me away because I was trying to live in some version of a perfect will. I was trying to hear God. And sometimes it was very confusing. I don't know what I should do. Should I take this job or that one? It doesn't matter. Let me just throw that out there for a minute. If you're walking in faith, and yes, God does guide us. He cares about you. He does have a plan for your life, but it's not one that you're going to go find out. He's going to be little snippets of it. You have to trick him into showing. That's paganism. That's reading the tea leaves. That's tricking God in or manipulating God to let you know. Oh, whoops, I let them know. Well, Yeah, that job. Take that job. That's my perfect will for you. That is wrong. Um, and I've probably taught that, quite frankly, in earlier years. But like, if, somebody, if you're like, hey, that's how I've always done it. Um, walk with us for a minute. Let's see how this works out. Um, but that is something that we just don't see in Scripture. Here's something that's a little closer to bringing God's sovereign will and his moral will together. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us, okay? And to our children forever, that we might do all the words of his law. We've made this really difficult. We've made this really, really difficult. With good intentions. But we've made this really, really difficult. Does God guide you? Yes. Can you trust him? Yes. Does he have a plan, purposes, and desires for your life? Yes. Do I have to somehow convince him to tell me what to do before I make a decision? No. No, you do not. And we'll get into the process of making a decision in faith and walking in that, whether it's a big one or a small one. So excelling in the ordinary. These are ordinary problems we have. We will substitute maturity for external, like the way I look, the way my spirituality looks. And we will believe that God has a perfect road for me, and if I can't find it, then my life is over. No. No, no. Excel in the ordinary. So let's talk about some ordinary obsessions. And again, more on that next week and the week to follow. Um, We have obsessions that we run on when it comes to decision-making, and they're common to everyone. Um, This is so true. You, You are obsessing on finding fulfillment. What does that mean? Finding meaning. Finding a reason why your life matters. You want that so bad. You want that so bad. I don't care if you're an unbeliever or you're just like, I don't believe the Bible, whatever. Um, or if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for 35 years. You want fulfillment. It's not wrong. It's not a sin. However, when we obsess on fulfillment in this way, we expect to find it in our job, in our relationships, in our marriage, in the decisions that we make, we expect way too much. You're asking things from just ordinary things. It can't give that to you. So then it gets very confusing and you're thinking, well, I made the wrong decision. No, you didn't. Maybe you did, right? Maybe you did. Either way, you cannot find fulfillment there. Um, I always wanted to fly as a kid. You know this about me, right? I grew up wanting to fly. I grew up in California. United Airlines back in the day was the airline on the West Coast. I grew up wanting to fly for them. I had friends that flew for them. So I went through the whole 
process of getting a license, becoming an instructor, I finally got an interview with United Airlines. I could not tell you how excited I was. I knew this was God's will for my life from the time I was 15 years old, actually younger than that. And finally, God had opened up the door for me to work for my dream carrier. I was going to spend the rest of my life flying off in the sunset. And so I, they fly me to Denver to take this interview, and I go in, and we have like three rounds of interviews. I got through round one, I got through round two, and then they send you back to your hotel. And it's kind of, it's, I don't know why they do this, but they said, call this certain number. And if you hear the last, that if you hear your social security number, then that means you're on to the third round of interviews. <laughs> I, yeah, that's weird. What's wrong with you? Not, anybody here from United? Change that. So... I'm like cruising through the interview. Like, I'm like, this is God's will for my life. God, you know, I'm praying so diligently. And I got through the first two. I'm feeling really good. And then I called the number at 2 o'clock, as I was supposed to. I didn't hear my social security number. I'm like, oh, well, they made a mistake. And then I called one of my friends at United who flew for them. And like, no, man, you didn't, you didn't, get, you didn't make it. I'm like, yeah, but you gave me a recommendation. I'm like, yeah, I sure did. What you doing there? Um, they didn't want me. Didn't hire me. So I like, they put me back in the van and like taking me back to the airport to find me back home. And like my face is beat red. I'm like, how am I going to tell my kid this someday? I, I feel like my whole life was coming to an end. I had so obsessed on finding fulfillment and meaning, not just on a career, but on a career with that airline. How ridiculous is that? I can look back now and say that. I felt, I felt awful. I felt like that had tricked me. Uh, yeah, it was really, really bad. So we obsess on finding fulfillment in things that cannot give it to you. Uh, life is not always going to be rewarding. Can I just say that? Your job is not always going to be rewarding. Being married is, or single is not always going to be rewarding. Your friends are not always going to be rewarding. Your relationships are not always going to be rewarding. Especially if you demand fulfillment and meaning from them. Man, I learned a hard thing on that. Um, I mean, it took me to the East Coast, so I guess we'll see if that's a good thing. Just kidding. So we obsess on fulfillment, and you obsess on your future. Now, it's good to be a planner, and it's good to think to your future, but here's what I mean by that. You're living in a future that you don't own yet. That is the definition of anxiety. Hear that. Living in a future that's not yours is the definition of anxiety. And Jesus talked about this a lot. For some reason, he always used birds when he talked about it. Hey, aren't sparrows, right, two sparrows worth about a penny? Yet, not one of them hits the ground apart from the will of your Father, God's sovereign will. Rest in it. God doesn't take risks with you, so you can. You can risk. He's not going to risk with you. Always talking about birds. Obsessing on the future. What else did he say about birds? There's another verse. Right? Help me out. I can't read the Bible all week. Um, oh, don't be anxious about your life. Right? Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Right? Look at the sparrows. He feeds them. They don't seem too worried about it. Aren't you more valuable than they are? You put yourself into a future that does not exist, and you worry about it. Jesus is very clear. Is that a sin? Yeah. 
It's called unbelief, right? And we drive ourselves to it. So we obsess on finding fulfillment. We obsess on a future that doesn't belong to us. And we fear. And we fear, and we fear, and we fear. Sometimes there's good reason for it. Let's just be honest for a minute. Here's what you need to obsess on. And we're going to come back to this over and over and over. If you're going to excel in the ordinary, if you're going to build a foundation where you can stop making decisions based on fear and fulfillment, Romans 8.28. Remember this one? For, For we know that for those that love God, all things work for good. For those he's called according to his purpose. All things work to good. But I blew it. I blew that interview, Lord. He's not, gonna, he's not wringing his hands. All things work to good. So what's the gap between God's sovereign will, his secret will, and his will for your life? All things work to good. If you're trusting in Christ, if you have put the love of God above everything else, if you're willing to trust him for your life, but I'm not perfect at that, that's not what he's talking. It's the work of Christ, which is perfect. If you're willing to trust him, you can take absolute certainty that everything that comes into your life, your good decisions, your bad decisions, things you don't even have a decision to make, things that happen to you, Everything circumstantially and everything volitionally that you do has to submit to God's plan for your life. Is that not enough? But I want to know the plan. You're not going to know it. Just give up on that. You will trick yourself into thinking you know it. Everything has to submit to God's plan for your life. Is that, is that enough? All things work to good. And there's some things that are awful that maybe you've experienced or maybe you've done. And you're like, I don't see it. I can't help you with that. Ordinary. Excel in the ordinary. Obsess on that. And so the call is ordinary maturity. Has anybody ever told you to act your age? I've heard that a lot, actually, in my life. I have. Um, I'm wondering about that. I've heard that. Act your age, Connor. Uh, and we say this to our kids. Why? Like, you have a four-year-old, and he's screaming, and because you, you won't, he can't have a Fig Newton, and he just blows up, right? This is sovereign will personal will again, right? And you're like, well, if the kid doesn't know why he can't have it. He just has to trust me and he's losing his mind. That's how kids work. Don't be that way, right? That's not the maturity that God's calling us to. You will make erroneous decisions. You will run your life off the rails that way. So excelling in the ordinary, how do we do that? It's ordinary maturity. And what does maturity do? It just excels in ordinary things. So I want to walk through a couple things of what that could look like in our lives. And before we even get there, I mean, this is what Paul's talking about. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. 
but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk. If you are walking around drinking milk out of a bottle as a 25-year-old, I'm going to call you out on that. That's weird. That's what Paul's saying. What's wrong with you? You're drinking out of a bottle. I can't even talk to you like an adult because this doesn't even ring true with you, right? Not solid food for you're not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. You're still of the flesh. Why? Jealousy, strife, behaving in a human way. Okay, so what is the base here? How do we excel in the ordinary? Man, just... Have you ever had somebody that comes to you and says, man, I need you to help me make this decision. Um, I need to know if I should, like, ask this girl to marry me. Oh, yeah, okay, that's a big decision. How come you're sleeping with her girlfriend, though? Hey, dude, that's like, that's not the thing right now, right? I'll, I'll deal with that later. But I need to know, should I marry her? We do stuff like that all the time. Hey, I need to know, should I take this job because I get twice the money? Right? That's good. More money's better. That's important. That's an important consideration or a question. But hey, have you ever given, like, sacrificially to the church? Do you, like, tie? No, no. Like, I've got a lot of school debt and stuff. And, like, I'll worry about that later. I need to know, should I take this job because the money? So we take things that are secondary importance, and these are the things we hang up before God, but the things that he worries about, aligning with his will, with his very simple revealed will that we all either know by instinct because we have the Spirit of God working in our lives, or we know in community because we're around people that know him and love him, or we have his word. And all those three things together makes it very simple. So maturity excels in the ordinary in this way. It obeys God's revealed will. So let's look at what that could look like. Maturity chooses this, God's revealed will. So let's lay down a foundation. Um, First is this. If you're going to excel in the ordinary, you're going to choose to grow in holiness. You're going to choose that. You're going to choose to grow in holiness. Um, Let me read to you out of 1 Thessalonians. Um, This is where I'm getting this. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. So if you want to understand the will of God for your life, he wants you to be serious about growing in holiness. What's holiness? It's when his character becomes yours. It's when the righteousness that Christ gives you through faith starts to look real in your life. When you learn to walk in it. You learn to walk in the clothes God has given you, so to speak. So God's simple will, right? This is, this is laying down a foundation. This is excelling in the ordinary. He wants you to grow in holiness, sanctification, set apart. What does that mean for me? I don't know. Maybe that means you need to start loving people a little bit and thinking about somebody other than yourself for five minutes. Maybe that means you need to give sacrificially. Maybe that means you need to put to death a sin that you're going to need some real help with. And you can't just abandon it. You have to replace it with the Spirit of God. And you're going to need help with that. So growing in holiness. Secondly, um, what is excelling in the ordinary? Um, Growing in gratitude. That's really important. 
First, and we're going to stick on Thessalonians for this. First Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So apparently, God wants you and I to be serious about growing in gratitude. This is his will for your life. I just told you God's will for your life. Write it down. He wants you to grow in gratitude. He wants you to align your life experientially with his character. He wants you to love him and trust him. He wants you to love others. He wants you to be thankful. But I have a lot of things in my life that suck. Man, everybody does. And you might be the worst of us. You know where I've learned gratitude? I've learned gratitude from people that should have none. When I watch them thank and praise God in circumstances, I'm like, either you're nuts, dude, or God's amazing. And I've learned that God is amazing. So deciding to give gratitude in all circumstances is a supernatural act that destroys strongholds in your life. You know what you'll start doing? I started writing one thing down that I was thankful for every night in my Hello Kitty journal. And... um, I start looking for it during the day. You start looking for the hand of God. Like, oh man, I'm thankful for God and that. I'm thankful for, look what God's doing over here. You start looking for how God's working. So grow in holiness, grow in gratitude three. Grow in your relationship with God. This almost seems like we shouldn't have to say that, but you have been taught and you think that Christianity is a set of ideas and beliefs that if you do them well enough, you'll get to go to heaven. No, nowhere in this Bible does it say that. It's relationship that you have. It's intimate with the living God, your creator, wherein he fills in, he removes sin through faith by the work of Christ, establishes you just like the song says, as an adopted child of God, you belong to him, put you at his table. So learn to live in that relationship. So grow in that relationship. Um, Colossians is good for that one. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Not just that you're knowing about God, but you're learning to walk in this relationship in real time. Hey, that's God's will for your life. He wants to know you. Well, he wants you to know him. He's there. But that scares me. Me too. He wants to know everything, all of it. Here's, here's one more. Um, grow as his vessel. Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. He wants to take residence in your life. When other things take residence that, that give you a false peace, like money, like alcohol, you just, you don't really need God. You, you, you do, but you, you're replacing him. So he wants you to be his vessel, friend. And it's relational. You start showing up in your relationships with other people when God fills your life. You start, 
grow where you're planted. You'll stop running from everything. You'll stop changing jobs every six months. You'll actually want to grow where God has planted you. You'll actually show up when you say you're going to show up because you're his vessel and the spirit is going to move you in that way. And you'll start making decisions that you didn't even think about that are revealing God's plan for you as you look backwards. And you go, oh, I can see God working. I can see God working in my life. I can see God working through my life. So these four things, grow in holiness. This is excelling in the ordinary. This is God's will for you. Grow in holiness. Grow in gratitude. Grow in your relationship with him and grow as his vessel. Let him fill you. I don't know what that means. Get in a community group. Come back to church. Ask me. Talk. We will talk to you about what that means. How would you sum that up? Grow in the image of Christ. You cannot know God and not be transformed by him. And a lot of times we don't want that, and so we back off. Excel in the ordinary. This is what's ordinary. Listen. Jesus, have you read through the Gospels? Just watch the decisions he makes. You would think that the way we talk about the Gospels, Jesus came down on a Friday and just died and then rose. No, he lived. He made a thousand mundane decisions that led him to the cross. Everyday decisions, a thousand of them. Thousands upon thousands of them. And don't you want to know what drove him as God the Son taking on flesh? Well, I was reminded of John 19, where he's before Pilate, the governor. And the Pilate didn't really want to crucify him. And then when Pilate heard that they're saying he's the Son of God, he goes back and talks to Jesus like, hey, where'd you come from? Jesus didn't say a word. Then Pilate says, you know, just so we're clear here, I have the power to crucify you or release you. So speak up. Jesus kind of showed us cards. He said, you have only the power that's been given you from on high. You have no power over me that wasn't given to you by God. Jesus believed that. Jesus lived on that. See, when you know God's love covers you, absolutely all of you, all of a sudden, you have the freedom to live. You have the freedom to live. You might have some horrible things in your future or in your past. The fact that Jesus made these decisions to get himself to this final decision to take on the cross, right? He endured the cross for the joy set before him, and you are a big part of that joy. He chose to do that to make you a child of God, to wipe away sin, to free you, to reunite you, or really not even reunite you, to make you a child of God. He chose to do that. And there are a thousand decisions that led up to that, and he was absolutely convinced that God was sovereign over all of it, and he suffered greatly for it, right? A lot of us will be called to suffer. So as we think about making big decisions, and maybe you have some big decisions to make this year, and we're going to be walking through that this month, I'm calling you, I'm asking you to excel in the ordinary. Choose 
to grow in holiness. Make that a decision. How do I do that? It's a thousand different ways every day. A thousand different Choose to grow in holiness, to grow in gratitude, to make your relationship with God real, to push into that this year, and to give your life to him as a vessel, as a living sacrifice. You will never regret doing any of this. And it will change how you think, how you make decisions, how you think about your life. It will take away this floating guilt that shouldn't even be there. And it will put you in a position where God can use you and you can walk forward in freedom and make decisions without faux guilt. That's my prayer for us this week. And if you've never opened your heart, if you've never repented to God, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you're still holding on to guilt of sin because you let it go, Give it to him. Give your life to him that you might be a new creature. Right? That, is, that is the decision that leads everything else. Excel in that. Excel in the ordinary. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, I, I just pray over this, this church right now, this congregation. There's decisions that are going to be made this year that are hard. There's decisions that are going to be made that are cause pain. There's decisions that will be made because there is no good decision to make. I lift your sons, your daughters up. Would you give them the confidence, God, that your love covers them in all circumstances, Lord? Would you give them the confidence that everything works to good? Not that everything is painless or fulfilling, but you're working it. And would you teach us, Lord, how to trust you in new ways that we might just excel in the ordinary things that you put before us and teach us how to choose. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.